It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? <laughs> I always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I always wanted to live in a neighborhood. Won't you be, please won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be, won't you be, please won't you be my neighbor? Hi neighbor. Have you ever had anybody be nice to you. You remember that, don't you? I sure do. Have you ever had anybody be mean to you? I bet you remember that too. I sure do. So I'm going to read to you a book by Joe Berry called Being Mean. Listen carefully. This is Robbie and Katie reading about Robbie and Katie can help you understand why people are sometimes mean. It can also help you avoid being mean to others. If you do something on purpose to hurt another person, you are being mean. When you are being mean to someone, you intentionally hurt the person. You hurt their body, their feelings, or their belongings. Sometimes, People are mean because they want attention. They want to be noticed. Try not to be mean when you want or need attention. Do these things instead. Tell someone in a kind way you want attention. Ask the person to spend more time with you. Sometimes people are mean because they don't know a better way to be funny. They want to make themselves or other people laugh. Try not to be mean when you want to be funny. Before you do something you think is funny to another person, be certain the other person will agree that what you're doing is funny. The other person will not hurt, be hurt in any way, and no one's belongings will be damaged. Some people are mean because they feel angry or frustrated and don't know a better way to express their anger or frustration. Being mean is not a good way to express anger or frustration. Being mean often creates situations that will make you feel even more angry or frustrated. Some people are mean because they have been hurt and they want to get back at someone. These people try to make themselves feel better by hurting the person who has hurt them or hurting someone else. Try not to be mean you've been, been hurt. Instead, do these things. Talk to the person who's hurt you. Let the other person know that you've been hurt and that you feel bad about whatever happened. Stay away from the person who's hurt you until you're certain they will not hurt you again. It is important to treat other people the way you want to be treated. If you don't want other people to be mean to you, you should not be mean to them. Mahatma Gandhi said, I like you Christians. I like your Christ, I mean, I meant to say. But I don't like your Christians. Why are your Christians so unlike Christ? 
I want to address two questions in the beginning of this series on lessons from kindergarten. Since being nice is so basic and important, how can we improve, first of all? Secondly, why do some of us struggle with it? So if being nice is so basic and so important, how can we get better at it? Secondly, why do some of us struggle with being nice? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, and beginning of chapter 4, beginning with verse 29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I want to put in another verse there that's really important to this subject. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them off. Now, of course, these passages remind us of things we heard our preschool teachers say, our kindergarten teachers say, and probably our moms and maybe even our dads. Everywhere we've heard this. We say to our young charges when they're being rude, selfish, dismissive, even violent toward one another, we plead with them, be nice. Can't you just be nice? These pleas to be nice, if you really look at it, they're really all over the Bible. The Bible is just full of it. Paul talked about this guy named Alexander the coppersmith. He said, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil. Uh, we see when Peter snubbed the Gentiles, he, he became a snob. Because when he was around the Gentiles, there were no Jewish people around. He was their friend. But then when the Jewish people showed up, he acted like he didn't know them. And Apostle Paul just confronted him to his face and in so many words said, Simon, Peter, you're not being nice. You need to be nice. When James and John asked to call down fire from heaven, the, 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 the Lord said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Be nice. When the prodigal son came back from being in rebellion and riotous living, the elder brother would not go into this great party that they were having. And the father went out to him and said in so many words, you're not being nice. You need to come in and be nice. When the Corinthians and the Corinthian church were going for seconds at the church potluck dinner, while some people hadn't even gone for first and all went home hungry, Paul said, you're not being nice. It's all over the Bible. All the awesome family advice in the Bible could really be distilled into that phrase. Be nice. Husbands, be nice to your wife. Wives, be nice to your husbands. Fathers, be nice to your kids. Don't aggravate them. Kids, be nice to your parents. Pastors, be nice to your congregation. Churches, be nice to your leaders. Church members, when you meet each other for service, be nice to each other. Back to the church at Corinth, everybody wanted to be heard and nobody wanted to listen. So the service was a mess because nobody was being nice and nobody was being polite. 
Even the law of Moses, which gets a really bad rap as being a lot of really tough rules and really tough consequences, and sometimes some really some kind of strange rules, like don't, don't mix linen with wool and don't eat meat that's goat milk, meat that's been cooked in the mother's milk, and stuff like that we kind of don't understand today. Uh, but, but really, if you really get into the laws of Moses, it really at its core, it was about you people be nice to each other. If somebody else's animal gets over on your property, well, if, if it's your animal, you pay for the damage as it did to the fence, and if it's, if it's not your animal, take it back. All kinds of rules about being nice. If you look at the Ten Commandments, every one of them are just about being nice to other people. Don't steal. You know, don't lie. That's just, isn't that just good behavior? Any God who would create heaven and earth for us to go, go to, go to the trouble to write a 66-volume love letter, send his son to live in the flesh, die on the cross, Send us prophets and preachers that so humans, as humans we've so often abused. He's a very nice God. Being nice makes us beautiful. Years ago, a cosmetic company asked for people to send them stories and pictures of the most beautiful women that they knew. Thousands of pictures and letters came in, and one, though, got their attention. A little boy from a rundown neighborhood living with a single dad wrote this letter, and it went like this. A beautiful woman lives down the street from me. I visit her every day. She makes me feel like the most important kid in the world. We play checkers, and she listens to my problems. She understands me, and when I leave, she yells at the door that she's proud of me. He enclosed her picture and wrote, This picture shows you that she is the most beautiful woman in the world. She was an older woman with no teeth. The president of the company looked at it and said, it's a good letter, but we can't use it. It would show the world that our products aren't really necessary. A missionary from New Guinea described how when he went to to Guinea, New Guinea, there there was no compassion. The thing that he noticed was no one was nice to each other. People were so brutal and depraved. They would just utterly devoid of feelings. If a child was crying and wouldn't stop, they would throw the child into a ditch and let it die. If a man saw his relative or friend break his leg, they would leave him there to suffer. They had no compassion whatsoever. This missionary was asked, well, did you preach to them? He said, no, I didn't preach to them at first. I just began to feed people who were hungry. I began to listen to people who were sad. I began to give medical care to people who were sick. And finally, the people in the village started asking me, why are you doing this? Then I began to preach to them the gospel, and they began to be converted to Christianity. Ira Gillette was a missionary to East Africa, and she noticed that people would walk miles past the government hospital to go to the missionary compound for help and for care and for medical care. When he asked them, why do you walk past the government hospitals to go to the missionary compound for medicine and help, Here's what they said. They said, the medicines may be the same, but the hands are different. I'll never forget. You know, when you think about kindness, I still remember first grade. I remember walking home from school back in the days when we could walk home from school. I remember walking home from school, walking by the gas station 
in the little general store. And this boy who was a second grade that I thought was really cool asked me if I wanted a soda and I didn't have any money and he bought me a Pepsi. And I never, here I am, 55 years later, and I still remember the cool kid who bought me a Pepsi. Isn't that amazing? I was so proud of Jason. I think it was second grade. Hopedale Elementary School. And there was a little girl in the class that um, everybody uh, ignored or picked on. And we got the report from the teacher that Jason stood up for her. It made me so proud. He was nice. The other day, we're out. We all had a hard day. And I don't know if I was any tired or exhausted anybody else. And we, a bunch of us went out to eat. And, you know, Sometimes you go out to eat because it's a treat. You want to go out to eat. Sometimes you go out to eat because you're just too tired to fix dinner and you didn't get to go to the grocery store. And, you know, that kind of, it was that kind of day in our lives. And I don't know what possessed her to do it exactly, but my, little, my girl, Elise, who was singing up here a little bit ago, she's all the way down the end of the table. I'm way over here. We're, we're TGI Fridays. And she just gets up and walks all the way around and gives me a hug. That's being nice. You, you, know what being, you know what being nice is? It's giving people a kind look, a kind word, and a kind touch. A kind word. There's several other words you could put in there. A soft word. A soft look. A soft look, a soft word, a soft touch. A, a cheerful look. A cheerful word. A cheerful touch. Put whichever word you need, but it's a positive word. We could even say a positive look, a positive word, a positive touch. Every part of my body communicates the love of God or the wrath of man. You know what the Bible says about the wrath of man? It says the wrath of man or the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know what says that? The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Some of us are trying to, to use rudeness and unkindness to produce righteousness in other people. And let me know when it works. So what can move us to deep, robust niceness? Not surface niceness. We all have that, you know, I think this thing of opening doors for people sometimes gets very confusing. You know, it, you have that thing, you're, you're kind of supposed to go in the right side door, there's double doors in front of you, and you walk up there, and this person is coming out, of course, on their right side, but you're left. Well, they open the door for you, and I think they'll get insulted if you don't go that way. And there might be somebody coming right behind them. So very, I'll tell you where it's really tricky is downtown Milford. I, I mean, people's kindness is going to kill me, literally. Because you come to the crosswalk, there's a light, right? And there's a crosswalk. The light is green, and people stop and want you to go out. But the problem is, only people in one lane stop. I think it's a conspiracy to get me to walk into the other lane where traffic is moving. I've developed, I've developed a move. I go. (laughs) 
People want to be nice, but sometimes, and I'm not knocking it, but we need, I'm sure there are places where people don't open doors and they don't stop at crosswalks. We need that kind of niceness. We don't want to let that go, but sometimes that's all we got is that kind of surface stuff. But to look deeply into another person's eyes, live, live with another human being in their space and treat them with kindness and cheerfulness and joy is something we kind of ran past to get the more important gifts of the Spirit, the more important callings from God, the more important anointings from God. We kind of ran past the stuff that's elementary, the stuff that you don't, you don't need a PhD is Robert Fulgham and this series is influenced by that book he wrote so long ago, Everything I Need to Learn, Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And uh, he says, when you, you don't discover this at the, the mountain of grad school, but in the sand pile. <laughs> so it's really basic stuff. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say. It has a lot to say about behaving. It really does. I mean, it's just full of it. Paul's writings, Jesus' writings, just a lot, a lot of stuff about behaving. And because God is a God of grace, I know he wouldn't ask me to do things that just were not within my power to do. Now, at the end of the message this morning, I want to get to why, I want to get to why some of us are struggling more than others. Why some of us are struggling with this more. We're struggling with more anger that manifests than others. And I know about this because I've been there. Still there sometimes, but working on it. Okay, what can we do? May I ask the question again? What can we do to move to a deep and robust niceness? First thing I would tell you is in our text, go back to our text, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians 4, 30. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. So I would say that the writer of Ephesians is trying to tell us this. First of all, Paul, the writer of Ephesians, he's trying to tell us, reconnect being nice with being godly. Reconnect being nice with being godly. It's critical to connect verse 30 with 31. It's so critical. Sometimes really serious Christ followers read verse 30 and think, no problem. I got this. I don't sleep around. I work hard. I pay my bills. I'm responsible. I don't watch pornography and, I'm, and I don't do bad stuff. So no problem. I know that I don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. I'm good. But if you connect it with 31, you can see that by the way you live, it's not only about that kind of stuff that we want to, it's not only about the big, the moral stuff that we definitely, we need to work on and make, and, and hold each other accountable to, but he's talking about harsh words. He's talking about slander. He's talking about being critical. He's talking about being nice, being kind. In, in, in fact, he, he, he gives us a bunch of words. Uh, bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. He, he lets us know those are breaking the heart of God, those things. 
do you know one of the reasons that some serious Christ followers, and I mean this, I really believe this, that some serious Christ followers are not so nice? It's because, here's what I believe is true, because they read Scripture and they see the severity of God. You cannot read Scripture honestly with an open mind and not see the severity of God. If Jesus goes into the temple and these people are ripping people off in the temple, they're they're charging them for sacrifices and overcharging them. And they they are making it impossible to worship. They were enriched. The only way you could worship God because they had to offer sacrifices. The only way you could worship God was to make those rascals rich. It was a corrupt system. And Jesus didn't, Jesus went in there and he didn't act very nice. Jesus did not act very nice. He started turning their tables over. He got a whip and he began to hit them. Now the Bible doesn't really say he connected, but he was, I think he was pretty good. I think he probably connected. So we, we read this stuff, and of course there's a lot of Old Testament passages, and we read about Ananias and Sapphira. We read about you cannot be an honest Bible reader and not say that God can be very, very severe. So we read this about the severity of God, and we forget a couple of things. Number one, that he's God and we're not. Number two, he was dealing in those cases where God was severe. He was dealing with serious sin and injustice. When Jesus dealt with the extremely social and unjust and dishonest system of Phariseeism, he was tough and his tone was harsh. I already mentioned the cleansing of the temple. But you see Jesus when he's dealing with everyday stuff. When he's dealing with everyday stuff like Mary Martha. Remember that story? Mary Martha. Martha's up serving and she's getting irritated with her sister because she feels like she's doing all the work and her sister's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, she said something. Boy, she, just, she, she, said, she said that out in the kitchen. She told her friends, I thought, I'm going to go in there and say something. I don't care if it is Jesus. I'm going to go say something. <laughs> and she goes in there and tells them what for. And Jesus goes, he didn't go, he didn't get the whip out. He didn't start turning the dinner tables over. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. I can see that you're really stressed. But Mary, she's chosen the best thing today in this situation. I'm going to leave her alone. See how gentle he was? When, when his disciples are fighting about being who's the greatest, he didn't get the whip out. He didn't start turning tables over then. He didn't, he didn't rain a little fire down from heaven to give them a little scorching. He said, guys, he that's greatest among you will be servant of all. Jesus dealt with everyday, ordinary life situations with great tenderness. With great tenderness. When his disciples are in the boat and the storm is going and they're, and they're quaking and they're fearing. When, when, when they have watched him do miracle after miracle and he had made all these promises to them that they shouldn't have been afraid of anything, but they were afraid. He says, it is I. Be of good cheer. Be not afraid. Jesus was a nice guy. Little kids wanted to go sit on his lap. 
Little children want to be around him. Little children don't want to be around you if you're a grump. If you're a grump, I'm telling you, they will not protect your reputation. They will tell everybody. You see, it's a holy thing to have the capacity to be tough and harsh. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. It's a holy thing to have the capacity to be tough and be harsh. But it's an unholy thing for that to be your default. If that's your default, your automatic response to everything. Remember we preached about anxiety a few weeks ago and we talked about being stuck on the 10th floor? Well, this is kind of the same thing. You get stuck on the 10th floor, so everything gets a whip. Everything gets tables turned over. Everything that happens. And you let life, even though some of the people I'm talking to are serious Christ followers. You want to please God. In fact, you have a life that in so many ways is exemplary. But you don't understand the holiness of niceness. Truly evil people should be scared of you, but the person who sits in your seat at church, I'm not going to quit talking about that. Don't even think I'm going to quit. Because it's not nice. That's why. The person who sits in your seat in the sanctuary is not evil. The spouse who's always forgetting to pick up bread and milk on the way home isn't evil. The staff member who brings up an idea that you don't think will work in a staff meeting isn't evil. If I treat human weakness as evil, I have nothing left for true human wickedness. I said, if I treat human weakness as evil, I'll have nothing left for true human wickedness. There's times for getting the whip out and turning the tables over. But it's not over the little minutia that happens every day with spouses and kids and neighbors and all of that stuff. Second thing is face the sinfulness of being unpleasant, unsociable, ill-mannered, inappropriate, and unlikable. Face the sinfulness of that. Our text gives five words that won't get you excommunicated from a church, but God says get rid of it. Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. What is bitterness? Bitterness is memories that revive pain. I said bitterness is memories that revive pain. Rage is loud, visible anger. Anger is quiet, seething rage. Harsh words are verbally exaggerated offenses. You know, if somebody offers you a really good, solid, loving correction, and you tell you walk you leave their office and go to your friend's office and say, "That guy just trashed me." He didn't trash you. He just said he's tired of you being late or something. We we exaggerate. I was talking to a guy, many a fellow, many years ago. About I I want to say many years ago because I don't want you looking around the room to see if he's here. Uh. Talking about a particular ministry in the church that was a very effective ministry in this church and doing a great job, that he had grown disenchanted with this ministry for personal reasons. 
And I knew he wasn't correct in the things he was saying about it. So I, I disagreed with him. And I started to enumerate all the good things this ministry in the church does. I started enumerating all the ways it's so effective and all the bottom line evidences we had that this ministry was really powerful. And while it, any, any ministry can always get better, it, it didn't deserve the criticism he was aiming at. It. His response to me was, yeah, but Hitler made the trains run on time. Hitler, you sh- it ought to be against the law to bring Hitler up in any conversation compared with anything or anybody unless they are in the process of annihilating six million people of a certain race. Then you can call them Hitler. Stop it. Stop it. Go- stop going on social media and calling political people, Hitler. Okay? That works, Steve, when I say stop it. They just quit. (laughs) Not really, but I imagine that. Slander is words that discredit and damage another people's reputation. Just always, even when it's true. It's usually not true, though. Now, Now, where does this all come from? We're born, here's the deal. We're born with a sinful condition of self-centeredness. In fact, I, I, I want to show you a picture to, to, to prove this, if we have it available. Do we have it? Now, this is you before you were born. My observation is that you were staring at your own navel before you were born. <laughs> this beautiful little child in the womb, you'd think they'd be looking around all the things, all the noises, all the interesting. And this child appears most interested in itself. And that, you know, when you have them born into your home, that that continues to be true for at least 18 years. (laughs) Right? They continue to stare at their own navel. So that's, the, the, the Bible says it this way. Uh, Paul, uh, uh, King David wrote, I was born in sin. Now, I know that doesn't look sinful. It's not sinful in the way we often think of sin. There's no, no uh, murder going on there or, or anything or no you know, horrible intent. But sin is that strange ability to have, I have to make everything about me. And so David wrote and said, I was born in sin. And I was shaped in iniquity. So that's, I think, what he's talking about. The second thing is we're sinfully hardwired to react emotionally instead of thoughtfully. We're sinfully hardwired to react emotionally instead of thoughtfully. This is a biological fact. You have an emotional emotional brain right at the top of your spine. Uh, There's right in that area somewhere, there's uh, the amygdala is a little organ that is your emotional brain. And and that gets that gets acted upon before you before you before you think, and you have the prefrontal cortex in front of your brain where you where you process and you think and you you measure your actions and it, its impact on the world and others. But actually, uh, that part of your brain is not even fully hardwired until you're like 21 years old, and some people it's like 51, I think, where you learn to think about 
something besides what you feel. So we're, we're born, we're created, and I believe created by God. I believe created by God. We're created by God with this wonderful capacity just to act out of feeling and emotion, and, and so wonderful that you have that capacity. It's so wonderful that you have the capacity. You don't have to stop and think of everything before you enjoy it. You don't have to stop and analyze everything before you enjoy it. If you hear a song, you don't, you don't have to go get the sheet music and analyze the song and see if it's written correctly. You just know you loved it. Or if you see a person that you think they're beautiful, you don't, you don't have to send them to a laboratory for, for, for analysis to see if they're really beautiful. You just God's just giving you this wonderful ability to go through life enjoying it because he's giving you this emotional brain because he doesn't want you to think all the time. He wants you to enjoy him. That emotional brain is the basis for worship. I said it's the basis for worship, that you just see things and they're beautiful, and you can be in the presence of God and you hear the voice of God. How many of you have said this? If you've been a Christian, you may have used this kind of language. I felt led. I felt led. You don't go, I analyzed, I thought it through, I felt led, I felt led. And, and how many times did you do that thing you felt led to do and it was so wonderful and so awesome, you spoke to something, you did something, you took an action and it was, you served and you did something beautiful and you started something beautiful out of a gut feeling. But the weakness of that is that that emotional brain also does not have the wisdom of God. So that's why we need the word of God, the fellowship of believers, so that we don't only live in our emotional brain, but we live in that. You know, can I say it this way? We become whole people. Jesus made us to be whole. The third thing is we're sinfully unconscious of how wounding we can be to those around us. We're sinfully unconscious of how we make other people feel. Pastor uh, Samuel Weems of Wellspring Church in Satellite Beach, Florida, tells about a time when he's in the sixth grade. And uh, he loves uh, Three Musketeer, uh, is that what they call them? Three Musketeer bars? Yeah, he loved those. So he's in, the, he's in the line in front of the vending machine. There's few people there. There's a little girl in front of the line. He's wanting to get his, his candy bar and go, go on to class. And this girl's at the front. She's Unknown to him, she's brand new at the school, and she's all nervous, and she couldn't decide what she wanted. And he's standing there behind her, and he says, hurry the bleep up. And the little girl's so nervous, she just walks away and doesn't buy anything. He didn't even remember that he said it. He didn't even remember. Six years later, he and that girl are graduating from high school, and she reminds him of what he said in the sixth grade. It had stuck with her for six years. And when she told him, he didn't even remember that he said it. Does that tell us something? Does that tell us something about how unconscious we can, conscious we can be about our behavior? Verse 31 is the cure for most bad behavior. Okay, It says, get rid or just stop it. Some people don't believe that that's powerful. I was joking a while ago about that. But some people don't under believe that's powerful. They believe that stopping anything must be this intricate, complicated work of the Holy Spirit to get you to stop doing anything, that you have no power. But, but that's just not 
Correct, because I'm telling you, you don't act in the grocery store the way you act at home. So I know you have the power to, to be nice, you, most of you. <laughs> There's a couple people in here that probably aren't nice at the grocery store. <laughs> but I, we'll talk to them in a second. So most of the time, reason, the reason the Bible admonishes us with a lot of stuff, because God knows we have the power, if we're, if we're correctly informed, we have the power just to stop doing some things. But if you can't just stop, it might mean there's an underlying cause. And it's dealt with in the next, in verse 32. It has to do with something that's fractured in your relationship with God. Here it is. Accept the debt of gratitude for grace that now makes us grace debtors to every human being we meet. 32. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, why would a serious Christ follower ever feel they deserve God's love and were not in need of grace? Why would anyone ever feel that God is indebted to us now, there are, there are two clues. One's in verse 30, the other in verse 32. In verse 30, we see the word bitterness. Bitter people are usually the people who were right. And the other person was wrong. So we see the word bitterness in verse 32, in verse 30, we see, I mean, verse 30, we see the word bitterness. Bitterness is a sour, sour memory of a past wound. In verse 32, Paul writes, forgiving one another just as Christ, through Christ, God has forgiven you. Now, the reason some people struggle with being nice is because they are morally good people. Morally, they do most of the right things. So they can talk about grace but they have a hard time emotionally feeling it. Now, if you've really been on the dark side and you've done terrible things, you can sing Amazing Grace with gusto. But if you've been a person who's been responsible, if you've been the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son, and you have not misspent the father's earnings and the family's inheritance, you have not abused your privilege as a son, you can say all you want about how grateful you are for the grace of God. Emotionally, you'd not, it's not happening. Now, I'm going to tell you how to fix that. I'm going to tell you how to fix that. It's going to take about three minutes it won't take you nine, 12 months, five years of counseling. We're going to fix it in like three or four minutes here. Amen? Here's a passage in Isaiah 53. There's a passage in Isaiah 53. I'm not going to go there. It says, He was wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. It is natural. Listen carefully, though. It is natural that we go to God for the forgiveness of our sins. But if we aren't going to him for the healing of our wounds... 
we're never going to feel like being nice because we're unconsciously trying to get someone besides Jesus to pay for our wounds. That's the people who've sinned against us. The unpayable debt, though, the unpayable debt, here's how to really appreciate the grace of God. The unpayable debt applies to your offenders as well as you. Now, now, now let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room, don't think about it too long, just raise your hand. How many in this room have been wounded by someone in your life? I can't see real well, but I think every hand went up. I think every hand went up. So you know about other people who could really use the grace of God. <laughs> it is natural to go to God for the forgiveness of sins, but we must also go to him for the healing of our wounds. We get in double trouble when we think we don't have an unpayable debt, but others do. So other humans get turned into our sin slaves. Isaiah 53, 6 says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of the morally responsible people. The people like you. No. What is that word? What's that little three-letter word? What does it say? Shout it out. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the, shout it out, whole world. The only way you're going to be able to live with grace toward the people around you, if you see their sins on the cross right beside yours. We say hurting people hurt people. To rephrase that, wounded people wound people. Are consistent with today's sermon, people who aren't nice to other people haven't gotten over the people that weren't nice to them. By the way, I don't advise you telling people that you are forgiving them. Just do it. When you stand, pray, forgive. Now, you have to not only forgive people for wounding you, you have to forgive God for forgiving them for wounding you. Did you hear that? You not only have to forgive people for wounding you, you must forgive God for forgiving them for wounding you. You have to forgive God because he said, I took their sins. Now, they may not receive that grace. I'm not a universalist. They may not receive that grace. But God took their sins. I don't care if it's your spouse, your kids. Your, I, I suspect the initial M and D are on the top of the wounding list in this room. Mom and dad. God took their offenses and put them on Jesus and said, that's where they are. And Jesus died for them. God wants to unleash an army of nice people on a broken world but we've got to take care of our bookkeeping problem. We have a bookkeeping. We have an accounting issue. The problem we've got to take care of is the books of our hearts. Listen carefully, please. The books of our heart aren't balanced until they have us owing God so much 
that we feel an overwhelming debt of kindness and niceness that we express to every creature, two-year-old creatures, 80-year-old creatures that are made in the image of God. Now, I realize this last little point is big. It's, it's, a, it's a whole series. And I realize there's a lot of nuances to forgiveness and a lot to talk about and a lot to work through for many of you here today. But I'm inviting you to start on the journey. I'm inviting you today to bring your, your sins and their sins to the cross of Jesus Christ. We used to sing an old, old song that I'd love to do again someday. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. And when you do, it will, reduce an energy, it will release an energy in you to have grace for all the people in your life. To have charity and love and kindness and energy to serve and humility when you realize the enormity of God's grace on taking the sins of the whole stinking world. Father, let us do business with you. Let us settle our books today. Somebody needs to come up here and get their books straight, get their accounting done, help them to do that. I pray for other needs. I know there are many other needs present here today, people that are financial need, people that are relational people that emotionally, all kinds of needs today. Some people have heard bad news from the doctor. Some people are going to the doctor this week and we care about them as well. So right now, let's move into response time. There's communion available in the front and in the back. Our prayer partners are available. Please move and be prayed for by them. God bless you. Let's enter to response time. Let's go and be nice. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.